0: I heard this story about a guy, and he was suffering. He was just in a lot of pain, and things just weren't right. And he came to his wife and said, I, I really need to go to the doctor. And his wife knew it must be serious because he would never go to the doctor. So they took him to the doctor, and the doctor seemed really concerned, and the doctor recommended that they run several tests on him. And after running all the tests, they came up with this diagnosis, and the doctor knew it was a very serious diagnosis. So he, instead of meeting first with the um, The guy who had the ailments, he pulled the wife off to the side and said, I need to talk to you one-on-one. He said, your husband is very sick. And if it goes untreated, he's going to die. And he's going to die very quickly. And he said, what you're going to have to do is, you're going to have to come home and you're going to take great care of him. Every meal, three times a day he has to eat, and they have to be hand-cooked meals. Everything has to be made from scratch. There can be no additives, no preservatives, no gluten, none of the stuff that we get from pre-cooked meals. And he said, it's got to be all natural. Three times a day. He has to eat three times a day. You can't pre-plan the meals. You can't pre-cook the meals ahead of time. It's going to be a lot of work on you. He said, along with that, he goes, he has to be in a a sterile environment. The house has to be scrubbed clean every single day. You're going to have to bleach everything, everything around him. There can't be one speck of dust. If there's anything around him, your husband is going to get very sick, have an infection he's going to die he, he said for whatever reason he's going to need lots of attention he goes it just gets the endorphins in his body going it's going to stimulate his brain and you're going to have to spend a lot of time just taking care of him if you do these things I think your husband will be okay and he's got a chance of living a somewhat normal life but I just wanted to come tell you because at the end of the day it's really in your court the ball's in your court on whether your husband lives or not she said alright thank you for letting me know that because I'll talk to my husband. So she walks into the room and the, she said, We got your test results back. And the husband said, What's the prognosis? She said, Well, I got some bad news. You're gonna die very soon. We kind of laugh about that story. But it kind of reminded me of what we're talking about today. We're in the third week of a series called Love Like Jesus. And while the story I told obviously is a tongue in cheek story. It's a story that a lot of us live out every single day in our lives. All around us, we see needs. We see needs that we can meet. And at the end of the day, if we're to be honest, we just choose not to meet those needs. We see things that we can take action on, that we can make better, And at the end of the day, we just don't feel like it. We don't have time for it. Dare I say, we think meeting that need is beneath us. We tend to think, hey, I'm not going to do this, but you know what? Someone else will come along and they'll do it. Whatever the reason is, every day we're confronted with needs that we can meet and we choose not to do. The problem with that is this. As Christ followers, we're to follow in the ways of who? Christ. And when you follow in the ways of Christ, you love in a way that is supernatural. You love like Jesus loved, and that's what we're talking about in this series. And we've talked about some things that are very hard to do, but Jesus lived those things out. We we talked about that Jesus loved the unlovable. That's hard. It's hard to love someone that at the end of the day, you just don't like. People ask me all the time, I don't like this person. Is it possible for me to love them? Absolutely. We're never told that we have to like everybody. We're told to love everybody. Last week, we talked about forgiving those that have wronged us. Man, that is hard to do. Today, we're going to talk about serving others even when we don't feel like serving others. And here's the deal, as you study the life of Jesus, it's impossible to study the life of Jesus and not see that he was constantly serving people. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the human flesh, who could have came to earth and sat on a throne and ruled everything, yet he was constantly serving other people. He lived by the philosophy that when he saw needs, he met needs. I mean, very quickly, you see that Jesus, everywhere he went, he goes to a wedding. The wedding runs out of wine. This is a big deal in that time. He sees a need. He fills the need. He takes water, turns it into wine. Everywhere he went, he would see blind people, and he would give the blind back their sight. He would see a need, and he'd meet a need. The, those that couldn't walk, he'd come along, and he'd see that their they're ailment, and see that they couldn't walk, and they couldn't get around. He'd come along, and he'd touch them. He saw a need. He knew he could meet that need. Death. Nobody stayed dead around Jesus. It was the life of the party. Raising from the dead, others from the dead. Feeding 5,000 people. He's off. There's hunger. He sees a need. He knows he can meet the need. He doesn't pass the buck and say, someone else will meet the need. I, I don't have time to meet the need. I don't feel like meeting the need. He saw a need, and he met a need. Everywhere that Jesus went, he lived by this philosophy. See a need, meet a need. He didn't live by the philosophy, see a need, try to justify the need. He didn't live by the philosophy, see the need, and see if there really is a need. He didn't live by the philosophy, see a need, figure out why they got in that position in the first place and why there is a need, and if they meet your standards on why there's a need, meet the need. He lived by the philosophy, see a need, meet a need. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, Then we must have this mindset: see a need, meet a need. Can I be honest with you today? Part of my job as a pastor is to meet people's needs, whether that need is someone is going through a time of sickness and they want me to come to the hospital, or someone needs food, or someone needs clothing, or someone's going through marital problems. Part of it's just part of the gig that we meet needs as pastors. But here's the reality. There's a lot of times I just don't feel like doing it. I'm just being honest with you. There's just times that I don't feel like doing it. We went out Friday night, went to eat some barbecue, went to a winery. A lot of people I know there. I leave the group I'm with. And sure enough, I saw it across the way, the eye contact I know the eye contact. I've been doing the gig for 20 years. Pastoring 101, if you don't want to fool with people, don't make eye contact. I saw the step forward out of their chair to me, and I was like, Friday night, awful friends. Don't feel like hearing a sob story tonight. But guess what? It was too late. The eyes had been locked. I tried the veer move, go to the right. I'm scanning frantically to find anybody I know to the right that I can start a conversation with where this person coming from the left is not going to corner me. It's not going to happen. They cornered me. Hey, pastor, hey, so-and-so, how are you tonight? Well, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. He said, that's not very pastor-like. I didn't say it was. We didn't say it was. I'm just being honest with you. They started talking. I gotta be real honest with you. I knew I was preaching this sermon Sunday. See you need me to need. I caught myself about four minutes in the conversation. I'm like, oh crap, what are they talking about? Reengage. <laughs> Reengage back into the conversation. I have this thing I do when I've checked out of a conversation and I don't know what's going on. Because what I used to do is just say, Yeah, man, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And then I found out a lot of times I wasn't listening and I was committing to all kinds of stuff I didn't know I was committing to, you know, like going on dates with dudes and all kinds of stuff because I wasn't listening, you know? So now I don't say yes or no, I'm like, that's interesting. Man, that's interesting. If you ever get the interesting, probably means I checked out of the conversation. So I throw the, the, the that's interesting to the guy and they just keep on going. And I said, so we'll follow up next week. I didn't know what we're following up about next week, so hopefully when we follow up this week, I'll remember the conversation. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Man, you're a jerk. Not very pastor-like. Before you judge me, don't lie, you've been there. You've done that. You got the T-shirt to prove it. You just went to hear some good music. Drink some good wine. I went to drive Alice home because I knew she was going to get drunk. Like, you know, I didn't go to listen to all that, but you just never know when you need to be a pastor. I get it. I'm not saying I was right. But it's hard to see a need and always be willing to meet the need. Yet yeah, Jesus always did it. You never see him complaining. You never see him talking about how busy he was. You never see him telling anybody to come back later. He lived by the philosophy, see a need, meet a need. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure there's a better story that shows the heart of Jesus when it comes to serving others than the story found in John chapter 13. The Bible says it was just before the Passover, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew his time was up. He knew the purpose of why he had come to earth was to give his life. He had lived 33 years, and now it was time. You ever in a situation where you just know that it's time? He knew the hour was before him. He says, having loved this world, even, I can't read. Having loved his own world, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here are these people around him. He's loving them. He knows the end has come. He's loved them to the end. He's sitting down to have his last meal with these people he had done life with. Now, now you need to understand, at this point, he had lived his entire life knowing that this day would come. So, So just imagine the feeling that he's feeling. Just imagine the anxiety daddy's feeling you ever had like a big surgery or something coming up and or a big test coming up and, and you just know it's coming it's just something that you're dreading and there's all that anxiety imagine knowing that you're getting up the next day and you're going to be betrayed they're going to beat you and they're going to crucify you and you knew it's coming there's anxiety the bible says he has so much anxiety that he was in the garden praying he, he prayed drops of blood so jesus felt anxiety over this situation but he's got these people, and he knows, I've got to love them to the end. If there was ever a time to be distracted, I think this would be it. If there was ever a time to be a little bit selfish, I think this would be it. If there was ever a time to be focused on his own self, this would be it. The Bible says the evening meal was in progress. You need to understand the importance of the evening meal. We're going to talk about this next week talking talk about the importance of community. There was no movies in this time. There was no wineries in this time. There was no concerts that you were going to. Where you did life with other people was around the evening meal. It was an intimate time. It was a time of community. They would spend hours around the dinner table, breaking bread and laughing and talking. It was an important time. Or I believe we'd probably be in a better state if we got back to those days. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. So now think about this. He's at his last meal with these guys, and the person that's going to betray him is sitting at the table with him, and he knows that he's at the table. Don't even try to act like you could roll like that, because I know I couldn't. Don't even act like you could fake getting through the meal, being like, you know this person's fixing to betray you. I'm a loyalty person. I'd be like, hey, let's talk about the elephant in the room you're fixing to betray me, aren't you? Not Jesus. The Bible says he loved to the end. <laughs> I mean, Judas is sitting there, and it's, it's been a week for Jesus. I mean, go back and look. The Bible lays out the entire week for Jesus. On Monday of that week, they're on Thursday right now. On Monday of that week, he had walked into the temple, and they had turned the the temple into a place just where they were selling blessings and selling sacrifices, and he went and he overturned the tables. He said, you're not going to turn my, my father's house into a place of profit. It's a house of worship. On Tuesday, the Bible says he had a massive fight with the religious leaders of the day. On Wednesday, there is no record of what's happening. On Thursday night, he's gathered together in this secret room with his closest friends, ready to give his final speech to them. How many of you have ever been with someone who had a few days to live? I remember my grandfather died. He had a few days to live. He wanted everyone to come in one at a time. It's a conversation that I'll always remember. You just listen a little bit more, and his words all had meaning. There was no joking. There was no cutting up. There was no wasted words. He wanted me to know what he wanted me to know for the rest of my life. He wanted to hear what he wanted to tell me, the last lessons that he could pass on to me. And I imagine that's what Jesus is doing here. He's got these people around. They've done life together. He's poured into them nonstop. And he's got these closest friends and he's given his final speech. They're about to, to, to take the Lord's Supper together. And, and yet he knows one of these friends is ready to betray him. He knows the very next day on Friday he's going to be beaten, betrayed, tortured, hung on a cross. And you'd think it would be a solemn time. But you know what happens because we all get in the flesh? What happens according to the book of Luke is a fight breaks out among the disciples. Very important fight, actually. Not a fight breaks out among them about who's the greatest priorities. A fight breaks out about them on on who Jesus loved the most. Instead of enjoying their time with the Savior and listening to what he has to say, they start arguing among themselves. And they start acting like two-year-olds. One of them says, I wonder who the greatest is. One of them says, probably me. He talks to me the most. Ah, you know, but I mean, he trusts me the most. I handle the money. Yeah, but whenever he needs something done right, he calls on me. I'm the greatest among all of us. Now, we're all great. We get to hang out with J.C., but let's be honest. I'm his favorite. And they start fighting among themselves. I imagine John going, well, I'm the one he said he loved. Because he said, you're John, whom I love. I'm the one he said he loved. He said, I'm the, I'm the greatest because I'm the one he loved. And Peter said, yeah, but I walked on water. He let me get out of a boat and walk on water. Who does he love the most? And the disciples said, yeah, you idiot, then you started to sink. I mean, they're just fighting. Bartholomew says, I'm the greatest. And the disciples are like, you're not even one of the 12. No one's even going to remember your name. And they're fighting among themselves about who's the greatest. And and I can imagine Jesus just sitting there saying, have you not listened to anything that I've taught you? (laughs) I already told you in Matthew that the greatest is the one who will be the servant. He he, he said, I've already told you, I I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. You're worried about who's the greatest and who's going to sit on the right of me and who's going to sit on the left of me. You're worried about prestige, and you're worried about titles, and you're worried about accolades. And and I'm just about, hey, the greatest will be last. The one who's willing to serve others is the greatest. And he's looking around the room on his last day with these people. And he sees two things. He sees proud hearts, and he sees dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. He looks around and sees these people that are full of ego and full of their own selves and full of titles and full of accolades and full of who's going to give them all the praise. And then he looks down at their feet and they've walked and they've traveled and he sees dirty feet. And the Bible says Jesus did this in the middle of their fighting, in the middle of them arguing about who was the greatest, over who was going to take over when Jesus was gone. The Bible says so he got up from the mill took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. They're sitting at a meal, arguing about who's the greatest. It's the last meal. And in this day and time, Jesus does the most humbling thing he can do. He gets up the leader of the pack. He gets up the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He gets up, the person who's going to give his life the next day for these men. And he becomes a servant and begins to wash their feet. Now you need to understand the context here. In this day and time, the washing of the feet was a courtesy thing when you walked into someone's home. Now they always wore sandals, they always wore open-toed shoes, and they walked along dirt roads. So everywhere they went when they would arrive, their feet would just be nasty and, gross. and it was just a common courtesy when you walked into someone's house in this time for them to ask you, would, would you like their feet to be washed? Kind of like today when you go to someone's house and say, hey, can I take your coat? Hey, hey, would you like something to drink? And, and, and they would walk in and they would wash someone's feet. And here's what you need to understand. The person who owned the house would never wash the feet. That was beneath them. They wanted to show you how much power they had, how much authority they had, how influential they were. So what they would do is they would get their servants to come along and wash your feet. The servant who washed the feet in the house was the low man on the totem pole who wants to get down on their hands and knees with water and wash someone's nasty feet. Katie, you like that, wouldn't you? Katie has feet issues. Like, I send her pictures of nasty feet all the time because that's what our relationship is like. Because feet are nasty. Like, let's be honest, feet are, like, I hear about people, and if you have one, I'm not judging you, I promise. But I hear about people who have feet fetish. Like, something wrong with you. Okay, man, I am judging you. Because feet are gross. Like, these things right here are disgusting. Like, five little things sticking all out. Let's be honest. You can't reach your toenails so you don't cut them the right way. They're always, like, jagged. Then your heels are all nasty. I mean, feet are nasty. Gross. Who wants to get down and wash feet? That was the low man on the totem pole job. You know, yet Jesus got up and he did it. I mean, imagine if you invited me over to your house and I walk up in the house and I'm like, hey, Pastor G, good to see you. Gotta take your coat? Thank you, man. Hey, you want a pedicure? What? I mean, I'm going to get down right now. And take care of them feet, they're nasty. But it was commonplace in this time. Yet Jesus didn't look around and find a servant to do it. He didn't look around and find the low man on the totem pole to do it. He didn't even look at one of the disciples and say, hey, let me teach y'all a lesson about who's the greatest. Get over there and wash each other's feet. Jesus got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled the basin full of water, and he got down and began to wash the disciples' feet, serving them. He saw a need... And it was a need he could meet. It was a need he didn't have to pass the buck on. It wasn't a need that he had to ignore. It was a need that he was physically able to do. And our Savior began to illustrate servant leadership right here. The night before he's about to give his life, he sees their proud hearts. He sees their dirty feet. And he realizes, if I can clean their dirty feet... I can take care of their proud hearts. Who's the greatest? The greatest is the one who's going to serve. The greatest is the one who's willing to be the least. The greatest is the one who's willing to do whatever it takes and not worry about who gets the praise. And they see him coming, and we go read the story, and we don't have to, they're like, no, 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 you don't got to do that because they knew the significance here. They knew that Jesus should never get down and begin to wash their feet. I was trying to think about something in our day and time to put this in there because we're not really feet washers in our day and time. This would be the equivalent of the Queen of England coming to your house and saying, Hey, you stopped in to wash your toilets. It's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is exemplifying the importance of serving others. He simply saw a need. And you know what he did when he saw the need? He didn't try to explain it away. Well, you know what? A servant could wash their feet. You know, we don't have a servant. <laughs> really? They could wash their own feet. He didn't sit back and say, you know what? Maybe if they learned to pick up their feet when they walk, instead of kicking the dirt, their feet wouldn't be so dirty. He simply saw a need and said, you know what? That's a need that I meet. The Bible says Jesus loved them to the end. And he was willing to get down and do what everyone else thought they were too good to do. He said, the greatest among you will be the servant. The Son of God knelt down. Do not downplay the significance of this. And he washed their feet. He didn't look at the feet and say, I'm not doing that. He didn't look at their feet and say, I'm too good to do that. I'm too important for that. That's beneath me. I'm not doing that. He just saw a need and said, I can meet that need. That's hard. It's something I'm trying to train myself to do. That whenever I see a need and I can meet the need, and don't miss this because I can't meet every need, but there's some needs I can meet. I'm trying to do those needs. When I see any, I'm like, God, is this something you're trying to teach me today? Is this something I need to go take care of today? Is this something I need to go do today? I got here this morning, and there was a couple of trash cans overflowing, and I knew I was preaching the sermon. You know what I normally would do? I'd be like, find someone, empty the trash cans. I thought, I'm preaching the sermon. Got to live it out. Fruit flies all over the top of it. Nastiness. I pull the trash bag out. Pours out all over my shirt. Luckily, I live two blocks away. I was able to go home, get a new shirt on, and just take the trash out. Now, I'm not saying that to make myself sound great, because here's the last time I'd ignore that need. But I'm trying to get better at it. I saw a need. It was a need I could meet. I went about doing whatever I could to meet that need. Here, 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 here's what I, I found out in my life. Most often, when I believe it's really something that God wants me to do, Normally those are the things that I feel are beneath me. I'm not doing that. I've got to get up and preach today. I can find someone else to do that. Jesus saw proud hearts and dirty feet and said, you know what, I can do that. And he gave us two quick things that we need to do when we're serving. And I'm going to get done and get out of here because I feel like I'm rambling. I, again, I can't feel my lips. No, I don't think it is because I keep touching it. It's dry, but I feel like spits running down my face. First thing is this. Serving others takes action. Serving others takes action. You can talk about it all day long. You can see the need all day long. But until we're willing to take the action to meet that need, we're not living our life like Jesus lived his life. He saw the need and he met it. He didn't pass the buck He didn't come up with excuses. He didn't ignore it. He saw dirty feet. He saw a water basin. He saw a towel and said, you know what? I'm going to take action and clean these feet. He didn't sit back and say, I wonder why no one else is doing this. He saw a need, and he met it. Can I tell you something? I don't compliment Action Church very often. I'm kind of hard on you. But this is actually something as a group, you're pretty good at. You do a really good job of taking action when you see a need. Now, we do a bad job of some other things. I'm going to get to that in a little while. But I'm going to build you up before I crush you. <laughs> My dad's technique when he used to beat us, <laughs> spank us. Son, you're so good that you dropped the ball and it's am not to where your butt out. We do a good job. I can honestly say there is no ministry in this church that I started. There's no ministry in this church that I went to anybody and said, hey, I want you to start this. Everything that we do as a church is because somebody saw a need and they were willing to take action. Somebody came to me years ago and said, hey, there's a need for a food pantry in our area. At that time, when we first started the church, Must Ministries was right across the railroad track, and they had a great food pantry. They relocated it, left a huge void in this area. And people came to us, and they said, I see a need to start that. The person who started that no longer attends our church. When they left our church, I did not fight to keep the food pantry going. I said, if it dies, it dies, because the person who saw a need and wanted to meet it has now left. The minute they left, someone came along and said, hey, I've got a heart for that, and I want to keep it going. You know what I do with our food pantry at this church? Eileen sends me private messages and says, hey, can you post a Facebook message about the food pantry? And I freak to do that 50% of the time. And I live on Facebook. So I can't do anything. I can't even do the simple things she asked me to do. Yet hundreds of people get fed a month through the food pantry here. All the time when school's out and the kids don't have hot lunches, hundreds of hundreds get fed. In the summertime, hundreds get fed. When the food pantry's low and there's nothing here, they do whatever it takes to make sure people know about the need. They see a need, and they're willing to take action. We have a clothing closet here. I actually, I think I've done the opposite in the area of the clothing closet. I've actually said, shut it down. A hundred times, I've said, get rid of it. It takes up space. It's so much work. Half the clothes that come in aren't fit for a dog. Get rid of the clothing closet. If the team that runs it sees the need, and they're willing to meet the need. And like any good church member, they ignore the pastor and keep on doing it. <laughs> and nonstop, people call this church needing clothing, needing help. You say, they really need help? They just see a need, and they meet the need. See, we want to decipher the need. We want to define the need. We want to justify the need. Jesus just saw the need, and he met it. Over and over and over, the warming shelter... The city called us and said, hey, can you start a shelter? It was one night. They said, can you open the doors tonight? There's a bad storm coming in, what, four years ago. So said, we can do that. We've now had three different people who lived in our church at different times who run that, and they always leave, and I'm always like, cool. They're gone. No more warming shelter. I ain't got to deal with it. I ain't got to deal with the stress of it. I ain't got to deal with them messing up the church and leaving it dirty and it smelling horrible and them doing things in our church they shouldn't be doing and, and people that are wanted by the law being in our building. Super, it's done. Every year, I say, we're never doing it again. And Every year, one of you bozos come along <laughs> and say, man, I see a need. I'm going to take that on. I'm like, super. And what I tell you every time, you need to understand something. It's not my passion. It's not my calling. I am not doing it. I'm not going to round up food for you. I'm not going to round up cots for you. I'm not going to round up blankets for you. I'm not going to come down here and unlock the building. And every year, food gets caught and cots get brought up and blankets get brought up. Why? Because you guys see a need and you meet a need. You take action. You do very good at that. Give yourself a round of applause. I think you deserve to be praised for that. And that's probably a good thing because our name's Action Church. If we're going to be Action Church, we should be Action Church. You know? Always singing any recovery meetings here. Every time I'm, I'm not doing anything with it. I, well, what will you do? I said, here's what I'll do. I'll give you a key. I'll give you a key. Because I ain't coming out here to let you in. Yeah, I drive by this parking lot every Friday, and it's slammed full of young people down here having a recovery meeting. This church is full of people today who come to that meeting that have been clean. Someone told me the other day, they're coming, they're three months away from two years clean. Someone asked, they said, what time does the meeting mean? I, I, I'm so bad at it that I can't remember what time the meeting starts half the time. I think it starts at nine. I always say 8.30 to be safe because it could start at 9.30, I don't know. I know James has no life, and he'll always be here early, so that doesn't matter as long as they're here. It'll be good. You know, you see a need, and you meet it. I remember my wife calling me about a year and a half ago, and she said, hey, I'll be home a little bit later. I said, well, are you going to be home a little bit later? She goes, I'm at Walmart. I said, okay. She said, well, there's a little old lady here, and she locked her keys in her car. I said, okay. Well, I'm going to give her a ride home. I said, where does she live? Totally opposite her side. I said, So why are you going to give her a ride home? I said, how hey, you know it's not a setup? She said, well, it's, she's old. There going to be someone waiting for you at the house. I don't think there's anybody waiting for me at the house. The lady's crying. She's a really good actor if she's faking. You know what I'd have done? I probably would have seen the old lady, said, have them call a fire department for you. Deuces. My wife got her in the car. She drove her home, got her keys, drove her back. Then over the next few months, my wife was able to minister to that lady over and over and over. Why? Because she saw a need and she meets it. And if you're going to serve others, you've got to take action. Anybody can talk about it. Uh. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I try not to bash other churches. I don't. Because I don't know their hearts. I don't know their mission. I'm not in their leadership meetings. I get that. But let me tell you something that drives me crazy about other churches. So many churches will have what they call it. It's the hot thing in the church. I actually saw the other day there was a conference on how to have one called Serve Week. One week out of the year, we're going to serve our community. Jesus served 365. He was like the Waffle House, baby. He didn't close for the holidays. Thank God that you took one week out of your life and then you hashtagged it. Hashtag honored to serve. (laughs) Hashtag we're over here planting. Super, I'm glad that you're doing that. Praise Jesus that you did that one week. There's 52 weeks in a year. And we're called to serve. And here's what I've learned. Ministry happens during the interruptions. Ministry doesn't happen, serving doesn't happen when we schedule it. It doesn't happen when we plan it. It doesn't happen when we want it to happen. Life happens, and craziness happens, and and opportunities happen when they happen, and we've got to be willing to take action to do that. Jesus looked out. He wanted to have a last meal with the disciples. He wanted to enjoy time with them, but he saw dirty feet. and He said, there's a need that I can meet. He said, I can do that. That one's mine. When you get outside of yourself and you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to care, then you're going to be finding opportunities to serve. You know what I can do that? There's opportunities all around you. But we're so caught up in our own lives that we miss those things. You know what? I can help that lady move. I called someone this morning that wasn't going to be able to be in our service. I haven't been here in two weeks. They're very active members here. I knew they're dealing with some family things. And I come and say, hey, what's going on? Well, you know, we're dealing with this with so-and-so's parents, and it's just crazy. And we've got a couple of weeks. I said, hey, here's the deal. I said, I, I got a crazy week this week. I have a festival next week. I said, but the minute that's over, I'm wide open. I said, if I can come help you move, let me know. There's, and they are like, really? I said, yeah, really. You know why? Because I can do that. I'm not good at much. I can't fix anything. I can't build anything but I'm a good grunt. I can pick up boxes and walk down the steps. And I can pick up furniture and walk down the steps. I can do that. Serving others takes a need. Man, you're, you're at church one week and you see something that needs to be mopped up. Go get a mop and mop it up. A couple weeks ago, I need to find Mike. I said, well, I need to find Mike. Something spilled over there. And the time you spent trying to find Mike, you could have went and got the mop and cleaned it up. problem is it's beneath you. It wasn't beneath Jesus. He got down the clean feet. Huh. You hear there's a need over there in the baby room, and you're like, man, I can do that. Someone told me, I said, I'm serving the kids' area. I said, you're serving in the kids' area? I said, what are you doing? I thought they were going to tell me they were teaching the kid. That had me over. I said, I'm holding babies. I said, Really? Yeah. So I got four babies, four kids. I raised four kids. I got 20 grandkids. I can hold a baby. I'm like, oh awesome, man. Take action. So, I mean, I'm gonna be the best garbage person there is. I'm gonna be the best mopper there is. I'm gonna be the best screener. I'm gonna be the best butt wiper next door to the kids there. There is none of them kids who are gonna have any dingle berries or anything. It's gonna be clean cracks, and we're gonna be good to go. I'm gonna be the best over there taking action. Man. Do it. Did I say that in church? That's all right. It's good. Be the best. Take action. You don't always got to have attention for what you do. I'm going to do this and I'm going to take pictures of it. Selfie. Where the whole world can go on your social media and congratulate you for how great you were. Just take action. Stuff happens here every single week. We have a lady in this church. I would say on the socioeconomic scale in our church, they would be at the top of our church. I would say in the education area of our church, they would be at the top of our church. In the girly area of our church, they'd be at the top of our church. And yet every week, she shows up and helps my wife clean the church. And every week when my wife's out of town, she shows up and cleans the church. Never calls and says that the church need to be cleaned. She knows it needs to be cleaned every week. Went and got her own key to get into the church. Comes and cleans it up. Does what needs to be done. None of you know she does it, but you show up every week and the church is clean and you appreciate it. They don't get on Facebook and make... <laughs> sees a need and she meets a need. She takes action. And I appreciate it so much. It's so refreshing to have someone have that attitude and have that mindset. <laughs> we just got to take action. There's so many needs around here. There's a lot of changes coming to this area. There's a lot of developers buying land all around us. They had a meeting the other day, and they're, they're building a big, um, right over here at the mill, it's, it's going to be crazy, there's going to be um, outdoor amphitheater and restaurants and a brewery's coming and all kinds of retail stores and access to the river and, and there's going to be a huge road behind the building full of, I think they voted the other day to allow 250 townhomes, it's going to be crazy and it's going to be happening over the next couple of years, someone asked me, they said, what are we going to do in the area now? I said, what do you mean? Well, they said, when the road, there's not going to be a lot of homeless, We're going to... I said, I don't know we'll see the needs that are here then and we'll meet those needs that are here then it might mean that the way we do church changes because the needs in our church We've always based the way we do church on the needs in our area. So here's what you need to know. Whatever the needs are, we'll meet the needs. It might not be that it's a homeless need anymore or a food pantry. It might be that there's tons of young couples around here and the need is made to focus on children and help them learn how to raise their children in a godly manner. I don't know. I don't have any control over what the needs are. Some said, well, are you stressed about it? Stressed about what? I can't control it. Whatever the needs are, we'll meet the needs. That's what we do. We'll take action. We're not going to talk about it. Here's what I can tell you we're not going to become. A holy huddle on Sunday doing nothing. <laughs> we'll take action. Well, I want us to be this, this, and this. Here's the deal. Let me, let me enlighten you. When we started this church, and I laid out the vision for this church, it looks nothing like it looks now. The needs dictated the action, and the action dictated the vision. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the needs. Jesus saw the need, the dirty feet, and he met them. Hey, serving others don't only take action, it takes the right attitude. Now, I complimented you on the first part. I said, man, you guys, take action better than anybody." i got to be honest with you, we don't do a really good job on the attitude part. We serve. We have a rotten attitude about it. Every time we do our turkey giveaway, I know I can name them, I name them to my wife here. This person's going to show up, and this person's going to show up, and this person's going to show up. And they're going to have a rotten attitude and say, this family's taking advantage of it. And that family got three turkeys instead of one turkey. And they're just going to be jerks about it ruin it for everyone. Every single time. I say every time we come down here and it's a clothes, like, someone's gonna have a ride, well, you know, they're here every month. I take so many clothes, I just think they're getting on eBay and selling them. Our job's to serve. Guess what we give an account for? Our actions. Guess what those people will give an account to God for? Their actions. It's just about the attitude. If you're gonna serve and have a bad attitude about serving, don't serve. Not just in his actions, but in his attitude, Jesus got down. They're like, no, 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 no. He didn't look at them and say, I'm doing it, deal with it. got down and he was honored to wash their feet. He saw the need and whatever it took to meet it. We've got to show the love of Jesus like Jesus showed the love. And that means when it's hard and we know the people are in the position they're in because of their poor choices, we love them anyway and we serve them anyway. They don't need a reminder of why they're there. They know. We have a good attitude serving. It's our honor to be able to give you food. It's our honor to be able to clothe you. It's our honor to be able to open up our doors and allow you to come in and sleep. I don't have a rotten attitude about it. We're joyful that we can do it. When this area changes, I don't know what the needs are. We're going to have a good attitude about doing it. And here's what's funny all that you complain about the things we do now, when we change, you can't do those things anymore because they're not the needs. You'll be complaining that we don't do them anymore. That's human nature. Nobody likes change but a baby with a dirty diaper. You know, things change. We'll always be action church, we're always going to take action. We need to have the attitude. The attitude is, I'm a servant. How many of you eat fast food? How many of you eat McDonald's? Don't lie, it's good. Big Mac, I love me a Big Mac. Arby's? Mm, I love me a roast beef and I can get cheese sticks. Burger King? I don't eat Burger King. It kind of freaks me out a little bit. I don't know why. I just never did it. You can have it your way. I don't want it that way. Wendy's? I love me some Wendy's now. now. How many of you eat at the Holy Grail? Of fast food, that Christian chicken Chick fil A. Mm. Like, I'm pretty sure that tea is like honey from God's lips. That sandwich is blessed by God. It's amazing. Look, like the sound system getting blown up just from us talking about how awesome Chick fil A is. Now, if you were going to eat based strictly on attitude from the people who work there how many of you are going to mcdonald's over chick-fil-a huh. how many of you are going to burger king over chick-fil-a how many of you are going to arby's over chick-fil-a how many of you are going to any fast food restaurant based strictly on the attitude of the employees over chick-fil-a Something magical happens in that drive through line. It can be 50 car lengths long, and I'm irritated, and the lady walks up to my window. How may I serve you today? Well, here's our menu, and how would you like to pay today? And what's your name, Gary? And how many sauces would you like? Oh, you would like Chick-fil-A sauce? How many Chick-fil-A sauces would you like? Well, I would like three. I'm going to give you four because sometimes three's not. What? All of a sudden, I don't think about the fact that I'm in a long line. It's my pleasure to serve you. All about the attitude. I went to Chick fil A this last week. For the second time ever in my life, I, I would be willing to bet that I have ate Chick fil A 1,500 times in my life. That's how you get a body like this. I love Chick fil A. For the second time ever, they messed my order up. I was so dumbfounded that they messed my order up, I couldn't even get mad. Like, it made me feel better about myself. I was like, dang, Chick-fil-A's not even perfect. I ain't got to be. So that was on Tuesday. Because I eat Chick-fil-A so much, I went back on Wednesday. I wasn't mad about it. I was just making conversation with the dude behind the counter. I said, man, y'all messed my order up. Here. I said, I was shocked. I said, I'm so shocked that y'all messed up. I didn't think I thought y'all were perfect. We messed your order up? I said, yeah, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. He punched some things in. Meals on the house. What? <laughs> what? Chick-fil-A attitude. Like Chick-fil-A has the attitude of Jesus. We should have the Chick-fil-A attitude. You say, I don't believe in Jesus. You say, cool, don't have a Jesus attitude. I have a Chick-fil-A attitude. Same thing. <laughs> Just glad to serve people. The people that we have to serve Guess what? Not all of them. But the large majority of them are already embarrassed that they need help anyway. But imagine they come in as just a smiling face and a good attitude. That's how you love like Jesus. I've been to other places that have served you and helped you when we were starting I went all around to different organizations and learned from them. And I was taken back by the bad attitudes of the people working there. You get to meet people's needs and help them in a low point in their life. It ought to be an honor to get to do that. Jesus got down. He never complained. He just got down and he served the disciples with a great attitude. The minute he got down serving, the Bible never goes back. and says they kept on the argument who was the greatest. They knew who the greatest was. He was on his knees and his hands with a rag in his hand washing their feet if we want to be the greatest we just serve people you meet people where they are for so long the church has said you meet us where we are you get your stuff together then you come be part of us you get your stuff together you dress a certain way, act a certain way you get clean and you come here and you be part of us We ought to be like, man, you come in with your mess and your muck and your mire and all your stuff, and we're just going to serve you. But they're going to take advantage of it. Some will. Our job is just to serve. When you serve others, here's what happens. God begins to change your life. You might be serving someone, and it's not for them. It's for you. My heart is bigger today, and my compassion is bigger today because of the last five or six years at 271 Marietta Road. Serving people changes us. Serving others changes our kids. Our Emily loves to serve people. You know why she loves to serve people? Because over half of her life she's been part of a group of people, you, and she's seen serve people. took time out of my schedule, and I served someone. It impacted me. I, I, I took time out of my schedule, and I just prayed for that person today. Don't even know I did it, but it impacted me. I saw a need. I, I tried that this week, too. So I'm cutting the lawn this week, and I got this neighbor behind me, and he's, he's very obese. I mean, huge guy, and he's kind of a hermit. And for... The landlord has always cut his grass, and for whatever reason, I don't know the details. The grass hasn't been cut this year, and the grass is about this tall. So I go over there, and I'm cutting the grass. I'm like, crap, okay, it won't take me much longer. I will cut his grass. And I'm halfway through his grass, and my lawnmower breaks. And so now his yard looks worse, and now it's half cut, you know? <laughs> but I walk out of the tr- and he's that guy. I try to avoid him because he's so lonely when he talks to me. I have to talk to him for an hour. And he hides behind this bush because he knows if I see him, I'm going to run. I'm taking the trash. Gary! Hey, buddy. I can only know his name. Ain't that horrible? Hey, buddy. How are you? I like, guess how bad he asked me for my home number one time I gave him Christine's. And um, <laughs> I'm horrible. But I sit out there talking to him. Oh, you're good. I'm good. And then he said, Oh, by the way, and he starts crying. He said, uh, Thank you for mowing my grass. I said, Oh, man, I'm sorry. My lawnmower broke halfway through it. And I'm going to get it fixed. And I'll, I'll come. He goes, Yeah. He goes, My landlord's been real, real sick and hasn't been able to come do it. He's crying. He said, he goes, it's embarrassing what it looks like. Now, my, fir- my, fir- my flesh, it was like, you're there and cut it. You lose some weight. I had to have the right attitude. I said, I'm so glad I was able to help you. I was able to walk in. It's amazing. It changed me. Now, you know what I'm going to do? Every time I cut the grass, I'm going to go over there and cut the guy's grass. It takes me 15 minutes. You know? Easy. Just serving others. See, we need to learn that serving's not what we do. A servant's who we are and who we're called to be. See, when you look at serving as a task instead of who you are, you'll never get it. Jesus knew he was a servant, and he served others. So here's my question today. Who are you serving, and how are you serving? If you want to love like Jesus, you've got to serve. You can't love like Jesus and not serve other people. Let's pray.